Okay, is that all right? I am going to do a crazy science experiment this morning. Something my kids actually saw at VBS a week ago, told me about it, and I thought, that is great. So I wanted to share it with you guys today. Okay, so, in the garden, God created the first man and woman. Who were they? Adam and Eve. And everything was perfect and good and clean. I'm going to read to you that part. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And, uh, and then later, it's, God says, And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. It was very good. Things were perfect and clean. Mankind was in fellowship with God. Okay? This right here represents the garden. And Adam and Eve, perfect and clean, sinless. Okay. But something happened, didn't it? God gave a command to Adam and Eve. But they disobeyed that command. They sinned, right? Yeah, Eve took the fruit and ate it and gave to Adam. And he took the fruit and ate it. And because of that, sin came into the world. And death came because of sin. Romans 6.12 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So there was a death, a curse spread to all mankind. This represents our sins this morning. Watch what happens to the good and perfect life we had. See that? It's now stained by sin. So what can we do about that? Do you think that if we do a bunch of really, really good things, that that will fix our problem with sin? You think it will? Let's try adding some good deeds, see if it fixes it. Maybe a little more. You try really hard, do lots of good things. It's not changing anything, is it? Hmm. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness, but which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he saved us. So we can try as hard as we can to be good on our own. But we can't measure up to God's perfect standard. That's why we needed Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so, by faith in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection on the cross for our sins, right? When we put our trust in him and say, I believe that you died for my sins, according to the scriptures, it says that we are made clean. We are forgiven our sins. Our sins have been washed away. And we can have a relationship with God again. I want to show you one more thing. Okay? And I want you to remember this picture. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you still... Does your mommy and daddy ever sin? I... Okay. If we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, I hate to say it, but sometimes we still sin. We still give in to temptations in our life to have a bad attitude or maybe to say the wrong thing. But God's grace covers us. And so if you add that sin now, look what happens. It's covered by Jesus' blood. 
when he died on the cross for our sins. So we are clean before God. Always remember that the rest of your life. When you are saved, that is permanent. That's our lesson for this morning. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seats. They have junior church right now? Okay. So if you didn't catch that, you can go to junior church. I've got to wipe my hand. I've got a little sin. I've got a little sin on me. <laughs> Anybody got a Kleenex on them? <laughs> Here's some. Here's some. <laughs> okay. That's fun. Okay, can I have that PowerPoint up? I feel powerful. I'm going to bring this down a little bit. Well, I have to say it's really good to be here today. Um, I was looking forward to this. It's been kind of one of those weeks where you feel like your brain is in so many different directions that it's hard to think clearly about anything. And uh, so I come up here just by God's grace, uh, ready to share with you what God has given me to share this week. Um, I know my family wishes they could be here so bad, and give, they send their hugs and their greetings to you. Um, but we are excited for those of you who have been praying about our house situation. Everything is good to go with the purchase of our house, and it looks like our closing will be around September 12th. We're going to try to move in the week before that. Um, so we're planning to move be down here the 5th of September and be unpacking that day. So keep that in mind if you want to come over and help us carry some stuff. Um, September 5th. Uh, so the couple weekends in between there, I'll probably be traveling down here on my own and staying for a few days to get some things done and prepared for each week. Um, but God will give us grace to get through that, and we're so thankful. Um, I'm excited because we're going to take a journey together of faith. And as I was praying about, Lord, what do you want us to to start with as a church, um, this is what came to my mind, a journey of faith over the next few months. Many of the passages that we're going to cover are going to be familiar to you. Um, I'm just going to kind of give you some of the titles that I'm considering for it. Faith for the future, faith for the unknown, faith to lead, and faith through trials. And our theme verse through this series, as we all grow in our journey of faith is going to be Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think in today's age, when we see all the tragedies and the things that are happening in our world, it can be very discouraging for us as Christians. I also think that because as Americans we are so affluent, we tend to not focus, we tend to not use our faith as much as we could because we can figure it out on our own. We can find a way to get that thing we want. We can find a way to work out that situation because of the resources we have. And so because of that, there's a lack of reliance on God. And we're not exercising 
that faith. But I tell you, when, when you come to God and you pray in faith, He answers prayer and He does amazing things. And, uh, and I want us all to be on that journey together where we're seeing, wow, God, you did this. And I think we've been on that journey this, this summer. We can look back and see the things God has done to let up to this point. And I just thought this would be the perfect place for us to go is just a journey of faith together as, uh, as we grow together. And so um, with that in mind, um, why don't I open in prayer and then we'll dive in today. Father God, thank you so much for this day, for the opportunity to um, share in fellowship and worship together, to dive into your word and just be challenged in our own faith and trust in you in our walk with you, God. It's so easy to kind of look at our circumstances around us, get discouraged, Lord, or rely on ourselves, God, and we end up failing. Lord, we want to depend on you. We want to have our faith and trust in you, and so we ask that you would help us with that as we dive into your word today. Amen. I'm going to read to you, I think before I change slides, I'm going to read to you our passage today. You can turn to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to be in, it's, it's a big passage, Numbers 13 and then part of 14 we're going to cover. And I'm just going to read a select part of the verses out of there to start us off here. Verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Now look at, verse 17. We're going to read a portion here. 17 through 21. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rahab near Lebo Hamath. And we will stop there. I want to present to you a scenario. I guess we'll wait on that. Okay. Um, A basketball analogy. Let's say... um, Think about a good coach. And he's trying to prepare his basketball team for the, um, the next team that they're going to face. And he knows that this next team that they're going to face is really good, is way better than his team. How does a good coach handle that? A good coach would not tell his team to go out and scout the upcoming opponent. He would not tell them he would not say to them, go check out how good their ball handler is, their point guard. Go, go, go look at their big man down low and see if there's any possible way we can score against him. Look at how deep their bench is and decide if we'll have enough energy to stay with this team. He wouldn't do those things. He would be setting them up for discouragement, right, and defeat. They would go into that game already thinking that they've lost, and their spirit wouldn't be there, and they would lose. And as we go into this passage, the first question I had to ask, and I think it's a fair question because I think people in our culture are asking this question. Why spy out the land? Was God a bad coach? Did he create the problem here? 
I think that's a fair question because I think a lot of people in our culture look at the things that are happening around their world and they want to blame God for them. And they want to find a reason why God is at fault. Either he doesn't care or he's doing things that aren't fair and aren't kind in our world. And so it's a fair question to ask that as you read this passage, but it's answered simply within the whole counsel of the Word of God. And that's where a lot of people fail. They take a passage, a small verse or something like this, and they, and they read into that without taking in the whole counsel of the Word of God and the whole story to know what was really going on here. And we get that in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses and the Israelites, they've been wandering in the wilderness as a result of what we're going to talk about today. And they're coming to the promised land again. And Moses is going back over the history of all that God has done and everything that happened with the people of Israel up to this point. And in that history, he talks about this very event we're going to read today. First Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19. He says, Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Okay, this is the promised land they've come to, which, which he says here, The Lord is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. God said, go, take possession of the land. I've given it to you, right? Okay, do not fear or be dismayed. Listen to this. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities and into which we shall come. And Moses says, and this thing seemed good to me. Okay, so if we take in the whole context here, what's going on is the people were afraid. And out of their fear, they, they plead that they could go spy out and explore the land God was giving them. And God, in response, and this is really the only part we see in the book of Numbers, in response... He graciously says, okay, if that's the way you want to do it, I'll give you some instructions of how to do it. We see the same thing happen when, when Israel asks for a king later on, don't we? God says, you know, I am your king. Why do you want a king? And they say, well, we want, we want a, a king from among us like the other nations have. That wasn't God's best, but the people asked for it. And so God allowed that, and then he gave them instructions on how to have a king in place. Okay, And so God graciously allows the people to kind of, they're, they're pursuing their own foolish way, and he allows them to do that and tries to help them the right direction in the midst of that. And so that's what we see here in Numbers chapter 13. And now I want to kind of dive into the passage itself. Okay, so the idea here when he says to spy out the land in the original language, it's actually more of a, not go spy out the land, it's a go ahead. God is giving them permission to pursue their desire, their request to spy out the land. Okay? And he says, explore it, check it out. And I really believe here 
that they could have gone into the land and they could have had the perspective that we're going to see this great and beautiful and wonderful land that God is going to give us. But that's not the perspective that they went into the land with. Second thing we need to see is that in God's eyes, this is a done deal. And, and people should have seen this already. He says in verse 2, okay, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. That is a completed action that's yet to come. It's called the, the perfect tense. It's like, this is done. It's already taken care of. But it just hasn't happened yet. Okay, that's what the perfect tense is. Okay, so in God's eyes, this is done. It's guaranteed. It's already a done deal. I look back 17 different times before Numbers chapter 13, where we are today, it's written in different phrases in different ways. God will give the land, swore to give the land, promised to give the land, will bring you into the land. Are any of those phrases allowing for any question of whether or not God is going to accomplish this? No. It was a done deal already. But the next thing we see is that fear leads to doubt. And that's where we picked up in verse 17. And I don't know if this was the people's idea or if this was Moses' idea, but listen to the things he says. It's like a checklist for spying out the land. See whether the people are strong or weak. Well, why is that important? See whether they are few or many. See whether the land is good or bad, rich or poor. This was called the promised land. They'd been looking forward to this forever, and now all of a sudden they're going to say, well, I don't know, is this, is this going to be a good land God's taking us to? Is it going to be worth it? You know, the wilderness is much better, right? <laughs> I mean, see whether the cities are camps or strongholds. One thing we need to understand is that the nation of Israel at this point, they're a, they're a, a traveling people group. They're not a, a military. At this point, they hadn't been trained and organized into an army. They hadn't fought any wars. Um, it's, I was doing a study, and the Iron Age had happened other places, but with Israel, they had not had the Iron Age yet, so they didn't most likely have spears and swords and some of those type of weapons like the nations around them would have. They might have pitchforks and your common household utensils to, to fight with, clubs or things like that, but they're not a military group, and yet... So I, I can't say that, oh, this is just some wise military strategy. They're going to go out and they're going to evaluate each of the pieces going on in the land so that they can decide what their best strategy to take the land is. Okay? I think it was a seed of doubt about the promises of God. I think we can all relate to that, though, can't we? There are times when God asks us to take a leap of faith and we start pulling out our checklist of, my, my wife's good with checklists. Let's weigh the positives and negatives of this decision. Do we do that with God sometimes? We feel like he's kind of calling us to a decision, calling us to act out in faith, and we kind of want to sit back and evaluate and say, okay, what's the risk here? All right, what's the reward here? Uh, what are the pros and cons, you know? And sometimes we shrink back in fear, after we've 
weighed out those pros and cons instead of acting in faith, trusting that God is greater than the circumstances around us. We think we need the details before making a rational decision about following God. But we have to remember, and we talked about this last time I preached here, that God isn't rational to us. <laughs> That's not how he works. Um, when we moved to PNG, to a lot of people, that didn't seem rational. When you weigh out things about sanitation, financial risk of selling all your possessions and all these things, it's not rational. But we know this is what God wants us to do, and so by faith we do it, and he takes care of those things. The bottom line is the people's fear led them to doubt God's power. It quickly erased their memory of all of God's faithful acts that he'd done up to this point. Remember, he delivered them by plagues from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He provided manna for them while they were traveling through the wilderness, food for them to eat. God had done all these amazing things, and they quickly forgot all of that. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. God's plans are not dependent on our abilities. They are not inhibited by the circumstances around us. The next thing we see in the passage is the report that comes back from the spies. Okay, it's right there. Okay. The land is bountiful. Verses 20 through 2 through 27, I want to read this now. They went up into the Negeb and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. They came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. I remember that song growing up. I want that mountain, I want that mountain. You ever heard that song? Where the milk and honey flow, where the grapes of Eshkol grow. <laughs> anyway, that came to my mind just now, sorry. <laughs> sorry to put you through that. But anyway, I can't fathom grapes that had to be carried on a pole between two people. I know I love Concord grapes, and my grandma used to grow them on her fence line, and just one cluster this big was just amazing. But... Um, we get an, a picture through the following passage that this is a beautiful and bountiful land that God has promised to them. Caleb describes it later on. He says it's an exceedingly good land. But what we find that happens is that the leaders lie. Okay, let's continue on verse 24, 25. At the end of 40 days, they return from spying out the land. And so now you've got the 12 leaders of Israel, which God has appointed one from every tribe, having a council together about what they saw as they spied out the land. Okay? They came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people and of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, now they're speaking to Moses, and I think this is separate from the people because after this they go to the people and tell the people a different story. Okay, and they told him, We came to land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. However, 
The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very long, large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak here. They were known as giants, okay? The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. What were they looking at? The circumstances. They were looking at themselves. They went out and they evaluated the land and they came back with, wow, there's some giants in the land. Wow, there's some people who are really strong. But it is a beautiful and a bountiful land that God has promised us. And so in fear, they looked at their own abilities and said, we can't do this. We can't take this land. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. If you want to break this down a little further, the leaders lied. The leaders lied about the land. And you're going to see that in the exaggerations that take place in the next part of the text as they shared with the people. They talk to the people. They say, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Oh, really? I thought it was a fruitful and bountiful land. The word there, devours, literally means a, a desolate, war-ravaged land. That's how they describe it to the people. And listen to this. All, all the people we saw in it are of great height. So all those different people groups they just named, and in their one people group, the descendants of Anak. And now all of a sudden, all the people of the land are of great height. And it goes on. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So there's a race of giants in the land. So they say that the people are stronger, hard, and violent people is how it's described here. And they lied to the people, and they even used myths to create this fear. And I'm not going to go deep into the idea of Nephilim. I don't, I don't really know everything about it. But there was a belief that, and it talks about it in, in the Scripture. I didn't put the passage down, um, where the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men, I think is the phrase of it. But there's a lot of different interpretations about what the sons of God means there. Some people believe that that's angels, fallen angels that had relations with women, earthly women. And so because of that, there were these super-powered giants that, that that's what they're talking about when they say these descendants of Anak, the Nephilim. That's what they're talking about in their minds. However, there's other interpretations of that sons of men. You've got to remember in this, in this time, it's kind of like Greek mythology. If someone seemed really powerful and mighty as a warrior, they would ascribe to them the title of a god. They call them demagogues, okay? And, and that could have to do with them being demon-possessed. 
and that be why they were such a powerful warrior and couldn't be stopped. And so they're ascribed this title of being a god. And so it could be that they look at them as the sons of God, and they had relations with women and their children or demagogues or whatever you want to call them. So I, I can't say exactly what this is, but I do believe that they're kind of playing off of the idea of giants in the land to make it seem even more fearful. Like these are some great, mighty, demon-possessed or God-powered warriors that we will not be able to defeat. So we see this. The leaders fail. The leaders lie. They bring an exaggerated story to the people and cause fear amongst the whole people. The people believe the report and they doubt the Lord. Again, I say they forget about all the things that God has done up to this point. And they say, we're better off picking a new leader and going back to Egypt. How many times did they say that? Let's just go back to Egypt. Really? It was that great being slaves? I mean, I love being whipped in the back and lifting up really heavy bricks. It's, it's great stuff. You know? <laughs> but anyway, their fear caused them to run back to what was familiar instead of looking to God. But a couple men stand up for faith, and that's what we see next. The plea for faith fails, and I want you to see these couple of verses. 13, 30, again. Caleb quieted the people. Quiet, guys. Let us go up at once and occupy the land, for we are well able to overcome it. And then 14, verses 5 through 10, listen to this. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord, where's their focus? If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. If you want to put it in today's terms, they say, let's take it. We will overcome these obstacles because God is with us. When they say their protection is removed, it's, a, it's an idea that the people are afraid and defenseless. And you remember, as you, as you read through the Old Testament, the journeys of the nation Israel, whenever they came into a new area, all the people had already heard about them. And all the people are usually afraid because they know that God is with this nation. Okay? So the idea here, Joshua and Caleb already know this. The people are defenseless before us. Because God has already planned this out. Well, the people decide that they want to stone Moses, Joshua, and Caleb because of their faith in God and, and trust the rest of the lies that they were given. But God intervenes in this. God has to show up on the scene and say, whoa, and we read that next. It says, Then all the creation 
All the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. That was a rare thing. God was getting everyone's attention in this moment and sparing Moses and Joshua and Caleb because of their faith. And I think Moses knew what was coming. He's thinking, okay, God's about to just nuke these people because of their hard-hearted and disobedientness because as soon as his um, glory shows up, um, we see down in verse 13, the, Moses makes a plea to God on behalf of the people. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and, and in, disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. And Moses pleads on God's behalf of his reputation. He says, God, you have a reputation out there. What are these other nations going to think if your people, because they already know your reputation that you're with these people and you're giving them success, what are they going to think if your people just all die here in the wilderness and are completely defeated? So he pleads to God's reputation and then God's heart is moved. Okay, He still brings punishment, but he brings a remnant of those people of Israel to survive. And so we see the punishment next. Um, the people have changed their minds too late. I'm just going to recap the rest real quickly. They try to take the land anyway. It's like they have this real late, oh, I'm sorry, we'll go do it now. But now it's too late, and God hasn't told them to. And so they run to the land and try to take it, and they're all defeated and killed or chased back. Okay? The spies who gave false testimony, these ten other leaders besides Joshua and Caleb, all die from a plague. And then God declares that the nation of Israel will wander in the wilderness for 40 years in relation to the 40 days that they spied out the land. Everyone older than 20 will die except for Joshua and Caleb because they had faith. It would now be up to a new generation to follow God and enter the promised land. So now we get to the real question of all of this. Why did the Israelites fail? I think we've hit on it a lot of times, but I want to focus on one thing here. Caleb nailed the issue on the head. He said this, If the Lord delights in us, we will be able to do this. How do we know if God delights in us? We go back to our verse in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God delights in us when we exercise faith in him. When we depend on him, when we look to him for the things that we're facing. He delights in that, and he's moved by that, and he works to accomplish great and amazing things. And Caleb got that. He got that. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strongly support those whose heart is loyal to him. It's a theme throughout Scripture. In the, in the Old Testament, we see where people are challenged to have faith, to trust God and follow him. Abraham, when he was asked to go to a completely new land, we're going to talk about that later on, but he had to put faith in who God was to make that decision. 
Okay, it's a theme throughout the Old Testament that we see many times. And in the New Testament, faith is in the object of Jesus Christ. We have to trust that Jesus' finished work on the cross is enough to secure our salvation permanently, like the little illustration we did there this morning. We have to trust that that's enough, and we have to exercise our faith on a daily basis by the help of the Holy Spirit, don't we? To follow God, to obey Him in our daily walk, in our lives. The key issue boils down to faith. I know that Seneca Community Church has faith. I've seen it through the way that God has been at work in your lives these past couple of years. I've heard testimonies of it, and it's exciting to me. I don't bring you this message today to scold you that you guys aren't acting in faith. I bring this to us to say, wow, let's continue to walk in faith because God has an exciting future set before us. God had an exciting future set before the Israelites, but they were afraid. And they looked at all the circumstances and they shied away from it. And I believe God has a great future in store for Seneca Community Church and for what he's going to do in this community. And we want to be a part of it. And so we want to keep walking in faith each day. Faith is a journey. Each day there's something new. There's something more difficult to trust God about. And each day temptations come to doubt or to be overwhelmed by circumstances. But God is enough, isn't he not? is enough. We can look back and we can see all the ways that God has been faithful and we have to hold on to that and remember that as we look towards the future. So I want to challenge you in closing today with application. What are you looking at? These are things for us to think about as a church and individuals. Are you looking at the giants, the obstacles? Are you weighing out a list of pros and cons? to decide whether you're going to do this thing that you sense God wants you to do, be involved in a ministry that God wants you to be involved in, or are you looking to God, the one who is faithful? I don't know a lot of your personal circumstances right now. Um, I look forward to getting to know everyone better and getting to know this community better. Um, there may be difficulties that you're facing at work, uh, a person you can't get along with, a financial struggle that you're going through, Trust God. Okay, don't just give in to those, looking at those circumstances and having fear. Okay, let's look to him. He's going to bring you through that. The next question is, who are you listening to? Sometimes there are rumors that go around. There are criticisms. Criticisms of us, criticisms of God, maybe of this church. Focus on the truth that you already know about God. The testimonies of men of faith leaders in this church that are trying to be an example to you, the promises that you've seen that God has fulfilled, focus on those things. And then lastly, I want to ask you, how can you demonstrate faith today? I expect things to be too difficult for me to handle on my own. And I think you should too. Sometimes we want to make sure it's something that we can handle ourselves. Okay? But in our journey with God, 
Usually everything's just a little more than we think we can handle. But God helps us to accomplish that. And as a church, there's going to be things that come up that we probably look at and think, this is too much. We don't know how to get through this. We don't know how to handle this. But God is able to. And we need to remember that. Demonstrate your faith. Passionately and faithfully carry out the tasks and ministries God has given you today. I think sometimes... Uh, my wife and I have fell into this a lot with this whole transition stuff, is we can get so caught up in all the worries and details of tomorrow and all the things that need to be figured out that we're too stressed out to live for God today. We're too worried about those things to live for God today. And so I want to remind you, God has you doing what you're doing right now today for a reason. And we've got to take it a day at a time in your journey of faith. Sometimes looking ahead is just, it's... It's too difficult. And so we have to serve him faithfully today and trust him for tomorrow. I think there's a passage in the Bible that talks about how tomorrow has enough worries of its own. So let's live for today. Okay? And the last thing I would just say is take a leap. God will catch you. I've seen that a number of times in my life. Um, the biggest leap that we took is when we went to our missionary training in Missouri and our house hadn't sold. And we had like two supporters that maybe equaled $100. And we were going to have to go live there, pay for housing, and feed our family. And pay for house and rent and utilities on a house that hadn't sold back here. But I just knew, convicted in my heart, that that's what God wanted us to do. And so I said, we need to go. God's going to take care of this. And we went, and God supplied the whole time. And it was, it was amazing, but it was a leap of faith, wasn't it? We had the same thing happen when we were getting ready to go to Papua New Guinea. We were debating on when to get our tickets and, and whether or not our finances were going to be in place, and we had to decide because we had to either get there at a certain time to start our language training to be able to take over our ministry after that, or if we waited much longer, we would have to wait a whole other year before being dorm parents after that because of just the circumstances of ministry overseas. And so we took a leap of faith. We said, okay, I think God wants us to go now. He's going to take care of the last bit of support we need to raise. We just need to buy the tickets and commit to it. And God took care of all of that. Okay, so take a leap of faith. God will catch you. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. But, if we go back to the beginning, second part of that this verse, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the time to be in your word this morning. Um, I feel challenged in my own heart and convicted of um, so many times where I just, I get focused on the stuff, the stuff of life, the busyness, the decisions, the, the things to do, the things that we need, and um, I lose my focus on the sovereign God who already knows about all those needs and already knows about all those fears and says, I'm here, John. You can trust me. I will take care of it. God, help me to trust you. Lord, help us as a church body to trust you, to put our faith in you and to follow you this week and today. In Jesus' name, amen.
screen. Thank you, Pastor John. <clears throat> As we move into our prayer and praise request time, does anybody have any praises they'd like to share or prayer requests? <clears throat> 